over the past weeks, we have been working our way through a letter uh, Paul wrote to the folk at Philippi. We're coming to the end of his letter today, and Paul ends on a note of thankfulness, and we pick up his letter at chapter 4, and we are starting at verse 10. And Paul writes, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel when I sent out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving or receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God, who will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. One of the questions we often ask here on a Christmas service uh, morning, uh, Christmas morning service, get it right, is, is what time people's day started to see whose children were up the first. Uh, my brother and sister are much older than me, but apparently they regularly used to get up first thing on a Christmas morning and go downstairs and unwrap all the presents before my parents were up, uh, which caused consternation because they never knew then who had given them what. Uh, and, and that was difficult because, you know, for my parents, making sure that people who had given their children presents was important because it meant that the people who had given them had to have thank you letters to say, you know, thank you for, for giving so and so, such and such. I, of course, was much better behaved. It was never a problem with me. Um, but I suspect that many parents here on seeing your child being given a gift from a third party, will have said from time to time, what do you say to the child? Just to remind them of the importance when you've received something, it's important that you say thank you. Many of us will remember being admonished as children to say thank you for something that we've received. And we, we might have had gentle bullying to write those thank you letters to that aunt or that uncle who'd been kind enough to ge- kind and generous enough to send us something in the post. Or maybe uh, if we weren't quite quick enough, you might have received a phone call from the said aunt or uncle say, did my present arrive safely in the post? It's just that I, I haven't heard anything and I wanted to make sure it had got... Yeah, you've been there, haven't you? Some of you might have done that, actually. Thank you letters. They are an indispensable part of social etiquette. And Paul's letter to the Philippians is a thank you letter. 
one of the main reasons for writing this letter is that he had received this gift from them, the first gift he'd received in a long time, actually. And at the end of the letter, he adds these verses that were read to us to say thank you. Except he doesn't. Nowhere, actually, does he say thank you so much for the gift that you've sent. He spends ten verses talking around the subject and seemingly saying everything but thank you. He rejoices greatly in the Lord at their renewed concern for him. It was so good of them to share in his troubles. They are the only church who has consistently supported him over the years. He wants to give them full credit for what they've done. He assures them that now he has received their gift, he is amply supplied with everything he needs, not that he ever goes short of anything. Their gift is like a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice. It's pleasing to God. In fact, if you want to to see how you can write a letter to say thank you without ever actually using the words thank you, Paul is a model that is excellent to follow. And that can be quite useful when it comes to writing thank you letters. How many of us have written, dear auntie so-and-so, thank you so much for your presence? And wonder what on earth you can say in addition to that. Well, if you want to say thank you without saying thank you, then uh, Paul gives us an example of how to fill a page with different things that you can say, ways of expressing your appreciation without using the words thank you. The trouble is that Auntie so-and-so, unless she sees those two words, thank you, may not be satisfied with whatever it is that you write. It's not a proper thank you letter. And that's the problem with Philippians. Is it a proper thank you letter if he doesn't actually say thank you? People have wondered whether Paul's response is actually verging on the root. He leaves it right to the end of the letter to mention this gift. And then he says, it was a long time since I heard from you. But that's all right, because I didn't really need what you sent anyway. I've learned to cope in any and every situation. So it might seem strange to us that Paul doesn't thank them for their gift. But then when you read the rest of his letters, you see he never says thank you to anybody for anything. Time and again he thanks God for people to whom he writes his letters. He comes close to being grateful for the prayers of the people in Corinth when he was at a particularly low point, but he doesn't thank them directly. He says, well, lots of people will give thanks on my behalf for the gracious favour I've received in response to your prayers. doesn't say, thank you for praying for me, it's made a real difference. Lots of people will give thanks on my behalf because they see the difference your prayers have made. That's a roundabout way of going about it. He comes close in Romans 16, 4, where he says, Priscilla and Aquila have risked their lives for me. And so, not only I, but all the churches are grateful to them. Again, he doesn't thank them directly. Thank you so much for praying for me. He says, well, you know, I'm grateful to them. They've prayed for me. And everybody else is grateful to them as well because their prayers have been answered. You'd think that Paul would be primarily grateful as it was his life that was saved or his life that was rescued by them putting their lives on the line for him, but he doesn't. So did he have a problem with gratitude? Was he one of those people who just hated being beholden to others? Was he so firmly independent that he couldn't really cope with being indebted to anybody else? Part of our problem with understanding Paul at this point may be because we live in a very different culture. The problem in Paul's day was that saying thank you actually could put a a relationship on an entirely different footing. 
we've got a papyrus letter from the period where an author says, I may dispense with writing to you with a great show of thanks, for it is those who are not friends to whom we must give thanks in words. In other words, if you're a friend, if you're a real friend, if you're a member of a family, I don't need to thank you. I need to thank people who aren't within that inner circle. We thank people who are outside the inner circle, but if, if your family or a really close friend, I, I don't need to bother. Well, that's a strange and bizarre thing. It sounds like that to us. But the point is that among close family and friends, thanks were deemed unnecessary because, of course, you support your family. Of course, you support your closest friends if they need it. It goes without saying. But in that culture, if you were to say thank you, that could put an act of kindness or generosity on an entirely different level altogether. Because it, it could mean that you were buying into what was quite a strict culture of reciprocation, and you get this in other parts of the world today. If I do something for you, that puts you in my debt, and you are bound, as a matter of honour, to reciprocate occasionally. Uh, uh, reciprocate accordingly. And there was a sense in which saying thank you could buy into that whole ethos of reciprocation. I've done something for you, you say thank you, that means I know that I can expect something back from you because you've acknowledged that I've given something to you and that puts you in my debt. And in that culture, actually, the majority of friendships were cultivated not because you enjoyed someone's company, not because you loved them out of the goodness of your heart, but you cultivated friends who could be useful to you. It was about establishing business contacts. It was about getting influence in the right places. It was about knowing the right people. It was very much a culture of you rub my back and I'll rub yours. And people operate that way in the business world today. I remember my mother having a real go at my dad. You just make use of your friends, don't you? She said to him. Well, of course, she said. What else are they for? That was not the kind of relationship that Paul wanted with the Philippians. One based on an almost contractual reciprocity. One or two scholars have read Philippians in this kind of way and suggested this was actually the kind of scenario, the actual kind of relationship that Paul had with Philippi. He preached and they paid. That was the deal. And so they wonder whether it had all gone pear-shaped because Paul hadn't been able to do his bit. He hadn't been preaching because he ended up in prison. So they hadn't supported him for a while. But then they decided they ought to reinstate their support, which results in Paul writing this somewhat ungracious letter to acknowledge receipt of what they should have sent him years ago, actually. Now, it strikes me that that is a total misreading of the situation in Philippi. But it was precisely to avoid that kind of scenario that Paul phrases his response to them so carefully. He doesn't want to get on the bandwagon of them doing something for him, so he has to do something for them in return, not least because in prison there's no way he can reciprocate. He doesn't want to end up with people taking offence because he can't pay them back. And saying thank you in that culture could lead to that kind of expectation. For us, if I say thank you, that means I am really appreciative and grateful to, to the person who's done me a service or given me a gift. To say thank you in that culture meant that, but it also meant more. It meant, well, now you've done this for me, I am in your debt and I need to pay you back. And Paul didn't want to go there. 
He couldn't go there because he was in prison. Nor did he want the people who held the purse strings to be dictating what he should do, where he should go, or how he should live, and what he should preach. Because then, as now, money can mean power. And Paul didn't want to be in anybody's pocket. The only authority he acknowledged was that of Christ. And that's why he was so careful to say that while he was delighted to receive their gift and it supplied his needs, he hadn't lacked beforehand. He had managed without them. He was okay. He'd learned to be self-sufficient. He didn't need them. Just in case their gift had come with any strings attached, he was careful to make sure that his acceptance of it did not mean that any strings ended up attached to him. So this is all very different and very strange to us in 21st century Western culture. But there are a number of lessons we can learn from this passage. The first is that our commitment to each other as members of the body of Christ should be total and unconditional. We should do things to each other and give things to each other with no strings attached. We do it because we belong together. Not because there's a kind of reciprocal arrangement, I'll do this for you and you do this for me. There's a kind of solidarity in the body of Christ. What we do, we do for each other because we are committed to each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord. And that can take a bit of getting used to. It means we don't give to somebody else in the hope or expectation that we will get something back from them. Because they may not be in a position to reciprocate. And we certainly don't direct our generosity selectively at those who might be able to give us something back in return. If we all behave like that, where would that leave the most vulnerable members of the church? Jesus had some strong things to say about that. Don't give to people who can pay you back, he said. Give to those who can't. Don't invite people to your home if you can expect a a slap-up meal in return. That's not how you should operate. We don't operate in that kind of reciprocal culture. Within the church, we are called to give to each other without expecting anything back. And we do that because the grace of Christ releases us into being generous. When we give something to somebody else, when we do something for somebody else, we do it without question because we are committed to them and there are never any strings attached or expectation that somehow or other they will pay us back because it's a debt of love that can never be repaid. We don't operate in that kind of way. And that, you know, in our culture, there's an expectation that you all kind of say thank you and pay back. And and there's no harm in doing that, but it shouldn't be the expectation. It's not the way we operate within the church. There is something countercultural about giving and just giving and giving without expecting anything in return, because we are committed to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. That also means that we need to learn how to be grateful recipients of the kindness showed to us by other people. If someone has helped you, that doesn't mean to say that you owe them a debt that needs to be repaid in some way. There should be no balance sheet that marks the extent to which we are in credit or debit to others in the degree of kindness we've given or received. That's not how it should work at all. If we are in Christ... We are there for each other and we support each other, whatever, because it is the love of Christ that is our motivation for what we do. And because we are bound together by the love of Christ, there is a sense in which what we do for each other goes without saying. 
It was that kind of unconditional commitment to each other in the early church that made pagan onlookers exclaim, see how these Christians love each other. That doesn't mean, though, that we are at liberty to take each other for granted. Paul may have operated in a cultural minefield where saying thank you triggered all kinds of socially conditioned expectations about reciprocation and returning like for like. We don't live in that culture. So if something does something for you or gives something to you, it is right and proper to say thank you. Understanding that saying thank you doesn't put us in debt to the person who's done something to us or given something for us. It is simply an expression of gratitude and appreciation. And not to say it actually can leave the person who's done that feeling quite discouraged. Even though we should never do something with a view to being thanked for it, a word of thanks can go a long way. It is a way of saying, I am grateful to you. Sometimes it just, you know, all we can do is say thank you because we can never begin to repay what somebody else has done for us or given to us. Just to say thank you carries a lot of weight here. It is an important and effective way of showing someone how much you value them and appreciate what they've done for you. So do please recognise that when you become a Christian, you stop being an isolated individual. And you become part of the family of God. You become a member of the body of Christ. That means that out of the goodness of their heart and because they love you, there will be people who want to do things for you. Be open to that, to welcome it. And allow that to chip away a bit at your pride and your independence. Because part of being a Christian is coming to a place where you allow yourself to belong and accept the love that other people have here for you. And equally, we are called to look for opportunities to bless and to give to others, especially those who might easily be missed. And when we give, we're called to give freely, generously, and lovingly, without strings attached or expectation of getting anything back in return. Because when we give that way, we will be thinking and acting like Jesus, the one who gives us his grace, who came to die and give his love for a world that didn't deserve it and didn't care for him. He's our model for giving grace to others and for receiving it and just saying thank you when it comes our way.